This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, today we're discussing Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. And it's interesting that Hashem gives Moshe Rabbeinu this tremendously hard mission, amazing mission. And really it was more than one mission. It was two missions at least, at least two missions. The first mission was to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And of course, Pharaoh's going to say no. And the second mission is to get the Jews to go. As a second mission, I don't know which one's harder, to get Pharaoh to let the people go or to make the Jews leave Egypt. And we're going to see it's more, it's more than just leaving Egypt. And let's just uh, discuss this. This is right at the beginning of today's, uh, this week's parasha of Ba'era. That God tells Moshe, he says, I am Hashem. And we got to talk about that. What does that mean? I am Hashem. I appeared to Abraham, to Yitzhak, and Yaakov as El Shakai. And with my name Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. And we have to explain what does that mean? There's different names of God. What do they symbolize? And the forefathers knew one name of God. They didn't know the other name of God. Of course they knew everything. So what, what does it mean? I established my covenant with, my, with the forefathers to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojourning to which they sojourn. That's number one. Hashem says, let the people go, send the Jews out, get the Jews to Israel, because that's my covenant with the forefathers. That's number one. Number two, I have heard the groan of the children of Israel, who is Egypt in slaves. So the groans of the people of Israel and the, and the enslavement of the Egyptians, Hashem is paying attention. So that's the second reason. There's two reasons over here. One is because of the covenant, and one is because of the slavery was just so great. Hashem saw the suffering of the Jewish people and had mercy on them. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am Hashem. Again, the same words repeated, I am Hashem. I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. These are the four languages of redemption because of which we have the four cups of wine on Pesach. I shall take you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I shall rescue you from their service. I shall redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I shall take you to me for a people. I shall be a God to you. And you shall know again, I am Hashem, your God, who takes you out from the burdens of Egypt. I shall take you to me for a people. I shall be a God to you. I shall bring you to the land about which I raised my hand to give it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I shall give it to you as a heritage. I am Hashem. Again, I am Hashem. So notice over here it says, I will give you the land as a heritage. The word used is morasha. So please keep that in mind. We're going to talk about it later. What is this word morasha? Uh, We're going to say this is one of the first lines you teach a child where where they can speak. Two things are called a morasha in the Bible. Morasha is Israel and morasha is the Torah. Two things are morasha. We're going to talk about it. Please have that in mind. Morasha means a heritage. Our heritage, Hashem says, we have two heritages. Number one heritage is the Torah. Number two heritage is the land of Israel. That's our heritage. So what's the difference between a heritage and inheritance? We're going to talk about that. Please make a mental note. So Hashem gives Moshe two mission impossibles. The first one is tell the Jews to leave Egypt. And number two is tell Pharaoh to let the Jews go. 
Okay, so the first one we talked about, and we come to the second one. Hashem says to Moshe, come speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he send the children of Israel from his land. Moshe spoke before Hashem saying, behold, this is the first, what's known as the Kal Vechomer in the, in the Torah. Then listen to what Moshe says. Behold, the children of Israel will not listen to me. If the children of Israel won't listen to me, how will Pharaoh listen to me? If my own people, right? Who should be listening to me? My people. My people don't listen to me. How could Pharaoh, who's not my people, listen to me? Plus, I have sealed lips. I can't even talk. Moshe Rabbeinu has a disability. He has a speech impediment. And you know what? This is something which is amazing. The Torah talks about people with impediments. Uh, one of them was uh, Hushim Ben Dan, son of Dan, who could not hear. He was uh, deaf. And Moshe Rabbeinu cannot speak. There's a midrash that says that when he saw Pharaoh's crown as a little boy, he pulled it off his head or touched it. And Pharaoh says, uh-oh, this guy's a rival. Let's get rid of him now when he's young. And uh, one of his advisors, the rabbi said it was an angel. The advisor said that he's a young boy. Test him with fire. Put fire, a, a fiery coal and a piece of gold and see which one he chooses. If he chooses the gold, he's dangerous, he's a threat. If he chooses the fiery coal because it's shiny and it's red, that's a proof that he's just choosing it because he's a baby. And the Midrash says he took the coal and he put it in his lips. And that's why he had a terrible speech impediment. So why does God choose a man with a speech impediment to be his leader? Isn't it more practical to send someone who is charismatic, who is a great orator? And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu eventually becomes a great orator. And the answer is an amazing answer. Hashem Dafka, he especially wants a person with an impediment. So that people will not say it was the great Moses, the great orator took the Jews out of Egypt. People will say it's the great Moses who couldn't talk. God took the Jews out of Egypt. There's no way Moshe could take the Jews out of Egypt. No way, there's no way Moshe could speak to Pharaoh. And even with Aaron at his side, you have this leader who has this uh, sidekick who's talking for him. It sounds very, very weak. So Hashem wants to show us. It's a lesson for generations. Hashem says, I don't need a, a go-between. I'm going to do this myself. My go-between is going to be incapable of talking and persuading. And you're going to know that it's me behind him who's doing the persuading. That's the reason why Hashem chose Moshe. And every time, you know, it's repeated over and over again, the Torah Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't speak, I can't speak. That's part of the story. That's the reason why Hashem chose him, because he can't speak. I'm going to choose you because you can't speak, not because you can speak. I don't want a person who can speak. Because Hashem says, it's my power going to do this, not you, Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu says, you're right, it's not me. How do we know this? So let's go back. So there's two missions over here. One is to get the Jews out of Egypt, and it's more than that. Because the rabbis tell us the Jews on the 49th level of Tumah, they were totally assimilated in Egyptian culture. They were also worshipping idols. They also loved the land of Egypt. They became more Egyptian than the Egyptians. They had no reason to leave. They didn't want to leave. We're going to see over the 40 years in the desert, we always want to go back. They want to go back. They want to go back. So they didn't want to leave. We're going to talk about that. And the second mission is to Pharaoh. Who is God? You know, Pharaoh, come on. I am the God of Egypt. Who is this God? I can listen to send the Jews, my, my slave task force. I'm going to send out my machinery. The slaves in those days were the equivalent of machinery. I'm going to send out my workers, my laborers, my builders, my construction equipment. If I do that, Egypt, who's going to build Egypt? 
I can't send them out. So two missions, I call it mission impossible times two, two mission impossibles. The Jews don't want to leave and Pharaoh doesn't want to send them. Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron and commanded them regarding the children of Israel and regarding Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Take the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. A double mission. A double mission impossible. So at first we know at the end of last week's parasha, the Jews believed. They were very positive. It says, when Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to them the first time through Aaron, it says they bowed down and they were so grateful. But then Pharaoh doubled their workload. And they accused Moshe of aggravating their condition. So Pasha Baira starts off with these two missions, Moshe. And he keeps on saying, Hashem keeps on saying to Moshe, Ani Hashem, I am God, I am God, I am God. What is the purpose of telling them I am God? What does it mean, I am God? Is there a command? You know, it's interesting because the first of the Ten Commandments starts off with the same words, Anochi Hashem, I am the Lord your God. I am God, Hashem is saying. What does that mean? I am God. And then the Torah says to Moshe, they didn't listen to Moshe. I am God, they didn't listen to Moshe. You know, there's a lot missing from this text. They didn't listen to God, to Moshe. Why? Because they worked too hard. But, you know, the, the commentary over here, Targum Yonatan, Rabbi Yonatan ben Uziel, who is the top of the 80 students of the great Hillel, Yonatan ben Uziel, buried in Amuka, People go who need a, a little bit of a segula to get married. They go to Amuka. They go to Rabbi Yonatan ben Zil's tomb and they pray over there. One of the greatest, the greatest students of Hillel, the 80 students of Hillel. He translates over here. The, uh, the, the Torah says they didn't listen to Moshe because of Kotzeruah. They were short of breath and heavy labor. The Targum of Yonatan says, They didn't listen to Moshe because of their foreign worship. Because of their idol worship. What do you mean this? Uh, okay, they did work hard. And they had uh, short of breath. What do you mean? They didn't listen to Moshe. What do you mean they didn't listen to Moshe? They didn't hear what Moshe said. They obviously heard what he said. They didn't comprehend what he said. Nothing in Moshe's statement seems to be very difficult to comprehend. Or did they not believe in what Moshe told them? If so, the Torah should have said, They didn't believe. It doesn't say that. It says they didn't listen. They didn't obey. They didn't listen. They didn't obey to what Moshe told them. So what did Moshe say? Anuchi Hashem. What does that mean? What mitzvah is that? What command is that? And further down it says, then God told Moshe, go speak to Pharaoh. He should send B'nai Israel from his land. And Moshe Abedah says to the Jewish people, listen to me. How can Pharaoh listen to me? So what did he tell them? He didn't listen to him. What was the, what was the mission to B'nai Israel to tell them I am Hashem? What does that mean? What is the mission? They had a duty. What was the responsibility? What is Ani Hashem? They had to recognize that he was God. Not only is God imploring them and informing the redemption, he asked them, he commands B'nai Shal to recognize that he is their God. This recognition encompasses much more than intellectual knowledge. It is a fact. It must not only be understood, it must also be internalized. I am your God. You have to obey my commands. I am your God. I am the commander. If there's no commander, there's no commands. If there's no commander, there's no mitzvot. People don't realize that. People say, yeah, I can have, I do mitzvot. I don't believe in God, but I do mitzvot. But a mitzvah means a command. It doesn't mean a good deed. It means a command. And if there's no commander, there's no commandments. 
Hashem says, I am your God. I am your commander. You have to believe. You have to internalize it. This is the first statement of the Ten Commandments. Implicitly, the man's, they prepare themselves spiritually for their journey out of Egypt, for their redemption. How do they do that? By doing teshuva. Most mission to B'nai Israel is no less difficult than his mission to Pharaoh. We have to realize, mission impossible. How do I get the Jews out of Egypt? They have to do teshuva from the bad things that they are doing in Egypt because they're becoming more Egyptian than the Egyptians. The deeper meaning of Hashem, Ani Hashem is only implicit. However, it's explicit in the book of Ezekiel. One of the prophets, one of the major prophets at the end of the first temple period was Yechezkel Ezekiel. And we know this book of Ezekiel because one of the famous incidents the Merkava vision, he sees God's Merkava chariot, whatever that means. Uh, it's a very important, deep idea of meditation, Merkava. And he also has this vision of the Valley of Dura, of the dead bodies of the Jews coming together and resurrecting. The dead Jews were resurrecting in the Valley of Dura. So we know this prophet Ezekiel, tremendous prophet. And here in chapter 20 of Ezekiel, to understand what the command Ani Hashem means, we have to go to chapter 20 of Ezekiel, and it says over there in verse 4, Won't you rebuke the Jewish people for me? Son of man, Ezekiel, you're the son of man. Inform them of the abominations of their fathers. Now we're going to the history. Ezekiel is going into history 850 or so years, 800, maybe 900 years prior to Ezekiel was the story of Pharaoh. This says the Lord Hashem Aleki. On the day I chose Israel, I raised my hand in oath for the seed of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I raised my hand to them saying, I am Hashem your God. Exactly what we have in our parasha. On that day, I raised my hand to them swearing to take them out from the land of Egypt to the land that I had sought out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, a splendor for all the lands. And this is what's missing in our parasha. This is the extra line. Listen to this carefully. The extra lines in the book of Ezekiel that tells us what this mitzvah is. And I said to them, every man and woman cast away the detestable idols of their eyes. Do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Hashem, your God. So the mitzvah of saying, I am Hashem, your God. What is the mitzvah? The mitzvah is... Throw away your idols. Throw away your idol worship. And we don't, what do we see? They didn't listen to Moshe. What does that mean? So Ezekiel spells it out. Verse 8 in chapter 20 of Ezekiel. But they rebelled against me. They did not want to listen to me. Hear the words. Listen. They didn't listen to him. No man of them cast away the idols of their eyes. They did not forsake the idols of Egypt. So I thought to pour out my wrath upon them, to spend my anger on them in the midst of the land of Egypt. Yeah, Ezekiel tells us, Hashem wanted to kill the Jews in Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it not be desecrating the eyes of the nations in whose midst they were, before whose eyes I made myself known to them, promising to take them out of the land of Egypt. Once Pharaoh knows I want to take the Jews out of Egypt, I can't kill them, because it's going to be a desecration of God's name. You know, this was the tool that Moshe Rabbeinu used to save the Jews from death in the desert all the time. He says, what will the Egyptians say? Right? What will the nations around us say? 
you took them out, but you couldn't take them into Israel. You killed them in the desert. Again, this is the excuse. Bashem uses this in the book of Ezekiel. I couldn't kill them in Egypt. Why? Because it's desecrating my name. I already promised to take them out of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh knew about it. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. It seems despite the fact that they didn't give up their idols, Hashem took them out of Egypt. I gave them my decrees and my laws. I made notes of them through which if a man fulfills them, he will live through them. Also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them to know that I am Hashem who sanctifies them. And this is again, we have to, this is the introduction to the book of Exodus. But the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my decrees and they spurned my laws. Through which if a person listens to them, he will flip through them. And they just desecrated my Sabbaths exceedingly. So I, I then thought to pour out my wrath upon them in the wilderness to make an end of them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it not be desecrated in the eyes of the nations. So you see, this is, this is the story, unfortunately, of the Jewish history, basically, in the wilderness, the wilderness of exile, the wilderness of, of our existence. That's, that's the story gives. If we do not listen to God's will, Hashem is very upset with us. And that was the mitzvah of Egypt. Hashem tells them, tell Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, tell the Jewish people, I am Hashem. What does that entail? doesn't say. Book of Ezekiel says, throw away your idols. Hashem hates idol worship. Hashem hates one thing he hates more than anything else, idol worship. Hashem called on B'nai Israel to repent before the Exodus, to cleanse themselves from the defilement of Egyptian culture. Unfortunately, the B'nai Israel did not obey him. They deserved to be destroyed in the land of Egypt. Only for God's name did the redemption continue. The Pesukim and Ezekiel support the popular Midrash, which claims B'nai Israel had reached the 49th level of Tumah, of defilement, 49th level of Tumah, Hence, there were 49 days when they came out of Egypt to go to Mount Sinai and see the first set of Torahs, the uh, first uh, set of, book of commandments, Ten Commandments. And the 49 days was to cleanse them of the 49 levels of Tumah and to get to the 49th level of purity. So Moshe's mission to B'nai Israel is just like the mission to Pharaoh. Not only must he inform them of the coming redemption, he must command and teach them to do teshuva. By the Ber Hashem and Moshe of Aaron, by Savem of Bnei Yisrael, the Paromet at He commanded them about Pharaoh and the Jewish people to take the Jews out of Egypt. So he, there's a double commandment over here. You have to command the Jews to leave. And they need to leave. They need to leave their idols. They need to leave their Egyptian mentality. They need to leave the Egyptian slavery. And they have to get out. And tell Pharaoh the same thing. They have to leave also. They have to send the Jews out. What else were the Jews doing that God commanded them not to do? So it's interesting over here. We know later on it says in Vayikra chapter 18, verse 1 to 5. And this, is, this, is the, this is the parsha we read on the afternoon of Yom Kippur. Can you imagine the holiest day of the year, the sea of Yom Kippur, Mincha time. What parasha do we read? Chapter 18 of Vayikra of Leviticus, where it talks about all the forbidden moral issues. Hashem spoke to Moshe, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, I am Hashem your God. The key words used in our parasha, I am Hashem your God. Do not perform the practice of the land of Egypt in which you dwelled. Carry out my laws and safeguard my decrees. I am Hashem your God. Again, the same code words. You should observe my decrees and my laws. 
which men shall carry out and by which they shall live. I am Hashem. Again, the key words. And then it talks about all the prohibited relationships. The moral code of Judaism is in Vayikra chapter 18. And we should all know what they are. We should go and read it. We read on Mincha, Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. Because these are the laws of holiness of the Jewish people, laws of morality, which unfortunately today are downtrodden. So that is, again, Ani Hashem is telling us two things. Number one, so far, is don't throw away your idols. Number two is be moral. Separate yourself from morality. God's original plan was for them to reach the Sinai in three days. Instead, it takes 49 days. Why? They were not spiritually ready. So they didn't do the teshuva that Hashem demanded in Egypt. And therefore, it took longer. And in fact, we know that the route to Eris Israel should have taken a year and a bit, but it took 40 years. Why? They were not spiritually ready. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu's mission in Egypt failed, in a sense. It wasn't his fault, but his mission impossible. Make the Jews do teshuva. You know, the Rambam is interesting. At the end of the Rambam, the laws of kings. He talks about one of the jobs of the Mashiach. And it's very similar to the job of Moshe Rabbeinu. To make the Jews do teshuva and bring them to Israel. Boy, you know how that's going to be? It's going to be uh, pretty hard. I think it's very hard. Moshe Rabbeinu had a hard time. They were not spiritually ready. So that's why they needed the Korban Pesach. They needed the Brit Milah. They needed the test of Marah, where the waters were bitter. So uh, that's so, uh, this is amazing. And again, Hashem says in Mara. So the waters were bitter, the people crying. We can't drink the water. Moshe, we can't drink the water. And he cried out to Hashem and Hashem showed him a tree. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There he established for the nation a decree and ordinance. And there he tested the nation. He said, if you hearken diligently to the voice of Hashem, your God, and do what is just in his eyes, give ear to his commandments, and observe all his decrees, then any of the diseases I placed upon Egypt, I will not bring upon you. Again, for I am Hashem, your healer. I am Hashem, the word, the key words. So, you shall be, and uh, Hashem again tells them in, in, uh, in the Parsha Yitro, and now, if you hearken well to me and observe my covenant, you will be for me the most beloved treasure of all peoples. For mine is the entire world. You will be to me a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. These are the words you will speak to the children of Israel. Moshe came and summoned the elders of the people, put before them all these words. Hashem commanded them. The entire people responded, everything what Hashem has spoken to us, we shall do. And again, Hashem says, I am Hashem, your God. Who have brought you out from the land of Egypt. This is the first of the Ten Commandments. So this, this first of the Ten Commandments is linked to this week's parasha. I am Hashem. I am Hashem. So what is another mitzvah that Hashem gave? And this is amazing. Apparently there was another mitzvah that Hashem gave. So two so far. Number one is throw away your idols. Number two is live a moral lifestyle in Egypt. Which Egypt was a center of immorality as the Torah says. And we read in Yom Kippur. Don't do what they did in Egypt. Apparently, the third thing, apparently there were wealthy Jews as well as poor Jews in Egypt. This is a real shocker. There were wealthy Jews as well as poor Jews. And what does God tell them through Moshe? Send away your slaves, your Jewish slaves. 
free your Jewish slaves. I want to free you from Egypt. Apparently, there were Jews who were not slaves. They had Jewish slaves. The rich Jews downtrod the poor Jews. Oi, this is hard. How do we know this? And this is the book of Jeremiah. Yirmiyahu and Avi again, 850-odd years after the exile, the coming out of the exile from Egypt, going back to Israel, 850 years again, the Jews were in exile. The temple was destroyed. Jeremiah was the prophet at the time of the destruction of the first temple, 850 years after the going into Israel. And Jeremiah says, chapter 34, verse 13 to 14, I forged a covenant with your ancestors on this day. I took them out of the land of Egypt, saying, listen, listen to what Hashem says, after seven years, you must free your Jewish brother. The purpose of the plagues was not for the Egyptians, but to persuade the Jews to accept God and destroy idolatry. And one of the missions also was to free the Jewish slaves. Free the Jewish slaves. So three commandments that Moshe Rabbeinu got in these two words, Anochi Hashem, tell them I am God. The three commandments are hidden. One of them is more explicit or implicit. I am God, there's no other gods. Throw away your idols. Number two, throw away your idols and be moral. Number three, throw away your idols, be moral, and free your Jewish slaves. Free the poor Jews who are working for you like slaves. Free them in Egypt. So these three things that implicit in these words, Anochi Hashem, that we see later on, are tied in through the prophets Ezekiel and through Jeremiah. That's very interesting. Now, we also have to explain this verse. The verse says, Hashem spoke to Moshe, and he said to him, Ani Hashem, I am God. This is right at the beginning, the first line of our parasha, Vaera. Vaera el Abraham, Vaera, I was known, I was shown to Abraham and Yitzhak and to Yaakov, Bekel Shakai, different name of God. Rashmi Hashem, but the Yud I didn't know, they didn't know. Lord of Dati and I didn't tell them about it. Ah, they knew me by Kel Shakai and not by Yud But we have a lot of questions over here. Number one question is, there's several, there are several instances in Breshit and Genesis where Hashem uses the word Yudke Vavke when speaking to the forefathers. And to Abraham in chapter 15, verse 7, to Jacob, to Yaakov, chapter 28, verse 13. What is the significance of question number two of God's different names? There are seven names of God, the Ramam lists, that cannot be erased. We're not allowed to erase God's name. There are seven names of God that are so holy that we cannot, we're not allowed to erase them. And even if they're written by mistake, in a Sefer Torah, for example, a person wanted to write Yehuda, but they wrote Yudke Vavke, they're not allowed to erase them. They're not allowed to erase Yudke Vavke. It's one of the, 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 the techniques that kids use in Jewish schools to, uh, to destroy the school. You know, they write Yudke Vavke on the, on the on the on a blackboard in those days with chalk and you're not allowed to erase it so <laughs> you have to replace the the chalkboard or wait for it to the, the chalk to fall off by itself anyway there's different ways but that's that's one of the ways that they used to use in uh, jewish schools to subvert things and uh, they shouldn't do it really but okay so question number two is what is the significance of different names of god question number three is why does god reveal to moshe a name that was concealed from the patriarchs 
So we have a lot of answers over here. Let's pay attention to these answers. Rav Sadia Gaon, one of the Gaonim, just before the Rambam, the Rambam quotes him extensively. Very big rationalist, Rav Sadia Gaon wrote a commentary on the Torah. Not enough people read fantastic commentary on the Torah over here in his commentary on the Torah. He lives from 892 to 942 CE, interprets our verse differently. It says, I appeared to as I did not make myself known to them only by my name, Hashem. He's putting an extra word in the Torah, only. In other words, they knew me by other names as well, but primarily they knew me by Kel Shakai. The difference is that Hashem would also appear to them through other names as Kel Shakai. However, Moshe Rabbeinu, only as Yudkei Vachim. He appeared to the forefathers with other names as well, but to Moshe Rabbeinu, he's going to appear only as Yudkei Vachim. That's how the Rapsadi of Gaon explains this. We're going to explain it more. Answer number two, Rabbi Yosek ben Yitzhak, the Khorshor, French, uh, Frenchman in the 12th century, a French rabbi in the 12th century CE, I appeared to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov as Kel Shakai, but my name, Yudkei I did not make myself known to them. Hashem did not fully reveal himself to them the way he will reveal himself to Moshe, face to face. Moshe is the only prophet, good, whatever that means, face to face. He had this uh, vision. The visions that he saw were not through parables. They were direct visions. The, the common parable used is he saw, he saw things through a clear glass. And other prophets saw through a frosted glass. He had very clear visions. He could see the clearest things that every, any human being could ever achieve. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one. That's Shem Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was revealed completely. Everything was revealed to him. Whereas to the forefathers, it was not completely revealed. That's the second explanation. Answer number three. Many of all the other commentators explain. The patriarchs were aware of the name of Kevavke. But they are unaware, unacquainted of the divine attribute that it represents. So, what does Yudke Vafke represent? Rashi, a great biblical commentator, French biblical commentator, 1040 to 1105 CE. He who is faithful to give reward to those who walk in his ways. Yudke Vafke symbolizes the, the, uh, the characteristic of God that rewards. If you walk in his ways, I give reward. I actualize the reward. And that's what the forefathers never saw. How many times God promised them? I'm going to make you as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand by the seashores. And Abraham only had two sons and Isaac only had two sons and Jacob had 12 sons. That's not numerous like the stars. Hashem said, I promise you the land of Israel, but they never saw the promise fulfilled. That's what Rashi says. They never, they never knew me by shame, Yudke Vavke, the fulfiller of promises. You are going to see Yudke Vavke. You are going to see me fulfill my covenant and my promises to the forefathers. The second answer we have is Ibn Ezra, who was a Spanish rabbi, 1092 to 1167 CE. Hashem's names do not relate to the making or fulfilling of promises. They relate to the method by which God intervenes in worldly events. The forefathers never saw God intervene in a miraculous level in worldly events. Hashem does not do miracles for the forefathers in world history. He does minor miracles. He gives uh, the barren Sarah a child, uh, Leah, uh, Rachel, who are barren children, Rivka, children, 
but these are minor miracles. They're not world-class miracles. Now, Moshe, you're going to see Yudke Vavke. You're going to see my power that can affect the world. You're going to see my power on the world stage. That's Yudke Vavke. That's what we are waiting for. We are waiting for Yudke Vavke to show himself. That's what we're waiting for. Waiting for the God, Yudke Vavke, the attribute of God that shows might of God. We want to see that today. Let's see how Shemshah shows us his might. But we should all be prepared for these uh, miraculous events not go out of our minds. <laughs> they shouldn't drive us crazy. <laughs> so witnessing God's power can sometimes drive people crazy. There's enough crazy people in the world already. Okay. So Ibn Ezra, that's Ibn Ezra. Ibn Ezra says, you give up, it's a God of power. You, Moshe, are going to see my power that the forefathers never saw. They saw minor miracles. They never saw massive miracles on the scale. So Kel Chakai is God behind the scenes of history, manipulating events from far. And the patriarchs are always saved by natural ways. Whereas B'nai Israel and Egypt are going to be saved in miraculous ways, which will affect the natural course of events in world history. It's amazing. We don't really realize how Egypt was altered through these events. Today, there are unearthing things in Egypt that point to these. You know, the Egyptians never, never admitted defeat. They, were, they wrote their own history. Uh, you never find people being honest about their history, but we do find some ideas over there. Uh, cities that crumbled, and, and you see the mud bricks that the, the Torah talks about, made with straw. You can see pictures of them, and you can see the truth of these events. Okay. The patriarchs always saved in natural ways, whereas Benesha will be saved in miraculous ways, which would affect the natural course of events in world history. Several verses later, Sheb elaborates on this theme. Four cats forecasting supernatural redemption. Hashem says, you're going to see things that no one will ever see again. These plagues are, are things which will never be seen again. Some of them, you know, they're so miraculous. That's Hashem. That's according to Ibn Ezra. Ramban, Nachmanides, 1194 to 1274. It's good to remember these dates. So CE, 1194 to 1274 CE, again in Spain. The forefathers received their prophecy through Midat Hadin, through the God of justice. The characteristic of God, which is justice, only one God. And it's like a prison. Seeing light in the prisons, you see different colors and different shades. There's only one light, but it's being refracted. Whereas God is only one God. But we, we perceive God through events that happen to us. So God's uh, power is refracted through the image of history. So the forefathers saw God uh, through nature, and they received that prophecy through Midat Adin, the characteristic of justice. And now you're going to see the God of Chesed, of kindness. Even though the Jews do not deserve it, they're going to be redeemed from Egypt. And uh, so Hashem appeared to the forefathers through visions. Again, this is another commentary of the Ramban, Nachmanides. He gives two explanations. One is is Bidata Chesed, it's the attribute of kindness. Keltrekai is the attribute of uh, judgment. And the second explanation, he says, God appeared to the forefathers not directly face to face, but through visions. However, Moshe is going to get direct face to face contact, whatever that means. The most direct contact a person will ever get from God. Okay. So, why did God have to reveal to Moshe? This is another question that this attribute was hidden from the patriarchs. Did not the patriarchs merit the actualization of God's promises? 
or his performance of greater miracles or direct elevation as experienced by Moshe? Were the patriarchs inferior to Moshe? That's the question. So answer number one, Ibn Ezra. 1138-1204, that's the Ramban, and Ibn Ezra was right before him. Moshe was unique. He reached a greater attachment to Hashem than the patriarchs. This is wild. Moshe Rabbeinu was on a higher level. Moses was on a higher level than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did not have a sufficient grasp of the attributes indicated by God to merit the performance of such overt miracles. That's wild. It's a very wild statement of Ibn Ezra. Moshe's level of prophecy. He may not be on the same level. I mean, everyone has different levels in terms of righteousness, in terms of piousness, in terms of their self-control. But Moshe Rabbeinu was the prophet like no other prophet. That's what he's saying. In terms of prophecy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't come close to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, Ramban says, prophecy was unique and unmatched by any other prophet. All the other prophets received prophecy while sleeping through visions and metaphoric symbols. That's the angels. Moshe Rabbeinu received direct revelation. The other prophets performed miracles before small numbers of people. Moshe Rabbeinu performed miracles before two million people. And millions of other Egyptians. Says many Egyptians came out of Egypt with, with the Jews. The Erev Rav all wanted to convert. They saw these massive miracles. We have never seen miracles on that scale ever before and never after. So miracles on that scale, hopefully we're going to see them again. Miracles on that scale were amazing miracles. They're mind-blowing miracles. And eventually even Pharaoh had to bend to the will of God. The Midrash Rabbah, quoted by Rashi, states, the patriarchs had more faith in God than Moshe. Despite all the unfulfilled promises, they never once questioned Hashem's greatness and commitment. And that's explicit. That's what God tells Moshe. He's rebuking Moshe. Moshe, at the first sign of difficulty, at the end of last week's parasha, despite the difficulty being foretold by God, immediately protested. Hashem says, you lack faith. You're not like the forefathers. The forefathers never saw fulfillment of promises. They never protested. And now you're protested? Now, we're not, you can't compare the two. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is not protesting for injustices against himself. He's not protesting against personal injustice. He was 80 years, he was uh, thrown out of Egypt at the age of 20 because he stood up for the Jewish uh, people. And he ran away and he didn't, he didn't cry to God, injustice, injustice, no. And so he's not, he wasn't complaining for himself, he was complaining for the people. He felt there was no like, there's no other leader like Moshe Rabbeinu because he really felt empathy for the people he served. He felt empathy for the people he served. His life was not important compared to their lives. He was willing to, to give away his life for their life. He was willing to bear personal suffering, but he was hurt by the suffering of others. Like Abraham who pleaded for Saddam. Moshe Rabbeinu is pleading for the Jewish people. You know, Rabbi Samson for Hirsch, it's his uh, yard site. Tomorrow, Friday night, please light a candle uh, before Shabbat. Um, the great rabbi states the difference in Moshe's revelation is not a sign of superiority or inferiority. It is a product of a divine plan for the creation of the Jewish people. It is not due to Moshe the individual, but to his mission redeeming the people. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu's greatness was not Moshe Rabbeinu. His greatness was because of his mission. 
Avraham Avinu didn't have a mission to redeem the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu has this tremendous mission, and therefore he got to know God more than anyone else. God wished to save Bnei Israel through unnatural means to stress their unique essence and mission. The people of Israel, think about this, we did not develop in a natural way. The nations develop on their own land. They make their own laws. They develop in a natural way. We developed our first uh, national holiday was in a foreign country, uh, slaughtering the lamb, having a barbecue in a foreign country. We were celebrating freedom in a foreign country. We got our laws in the desert. We got our laws from Mount Sinai. And we are made as a people outside our land. That's unnatural. So the miracles are there to stress. Hashem says, you, you Jewish people are unnatural. You are not made like anyone else. The, the people of Israel will not develop naturally like the rest of the nations. They will inherit their land through divine intervention. Their right to the land is intricately connected to their commitment to fulfilling their destiny as the people of Hashem. I am Hashem. The history of Israel does not follow the natural route of the other nations of the earth. It is a history governed by the covenant with God. Not only is our connection to the land related to the covenant, our whole experience and existence stems from our relationship with God. We have to really realize this and internalize this. And the quicker we internalize this, the better for us. Moshe is embarking on a mission to save the people of Israel, take them to the promised land, and establish them as an independent nation. This mission will not be accomplished through Kel Shakai, the God of Promises. This mission will only be accomplished through Hashem, the power of God, divine intervention that negates the laws of nations. This is amazing. Power of God that negates nature. The power of miracles. UK Bafka is the power of miracles. Hashem is going to make miracles never before seen in the world apart from creation. Now it's interesting why 10 plagues? Why 10 miracles? Why 10 plagues? So I have a little bit of an answer for you. The portion of Vaera describes the first seven. Our portion of Vaera describes the first seven plagues of the ten plagues that preceded the exodus from Egypt. The ten plagues were more than just a punishment for Egypt. Moses says, you know, the plagues were a punishment for Egypt. Wrong! The plagues were a lesson to all mankind forever and especially to the Jewish people. Each of them affected a different aspect of the cleansing from the negativity of Egypt. This is also why the plagues were in number 10. Why? Because God created, go back to the Bereshit, you'll find God created the world with 10 sayings. We learned this in Pirkei Avot. God creates the world with 10 sayings. 10 utterances. And the impurity of Egypt defiled the world. It was therefore necessary for the purification of the world to be in 10 steps. Each plague is a purification process to reveal the saying that God created the world to the world. We also find parallels between the plagues and the utterances of creation. Let there be light. There's a plague of darkness. If you don't recognize light is from God, there's going to be darkness. Let the earth give forth vegetation. And the plague of locusts destroyed the plants. If you don't believe that God created vegetation, there's not going to be vegetation. Let the earth give forth living animals and the, and the plague of pestilence of devil, which kill the animals. You don't believe that God created animals, there won't be animals. Let the waters give forth life, and, and then what happened? The first plague, blood killed the fish. The waters gave forth life, 
You don't believe in it. The waters will kill life. Let us create man and the tenth plague. You don't believe in let us create man. There's going to be a plague to kill man. Each of these plagues teaches us a lesson in life. These are plagues that are here to teach us lessons. We have to examine these plagues to teach us lessons. What is what is God doing? He's not just punishing the Egyptians, of course, that's part of it. He's teaching the whole world a lesson. I am not just the creator. I am the interferer in history. I am interfering. I have the power to interfere if I want to. I wish Hashem maybe should interfere more often. But Hashem usually is Kel Shakai and the God behind the scenes. But over here in Egypt, I'm going to be Hashem, the God who's going to reveal himself through these massive miracles. So let's uh, go a bit further. All of a sudden, in the middle of this uh, beautiful uh, commands to Moshe, to Pharaoh, go tell Pharaoh, go tell B'nai Israel, tell them this, tell them that. All of a sudden, what happens? Genealogy. The Torah takes a break and gives us the genealogy of all the tribes up to the tribe of Levi and Levi's three sons. And then Amram, the father of Moshe and Yocheved, his mother were from the tribes of Levi. Why? Why did the Torah take a break and, and all of a sudden give us the genealogy of Moshe Rabbeinu? Who cares about his genealogy? Right in the middle of the story, it's a very intricate story. That It's a mission impossible. It's exciting. All of a sudden we have the genealogy breaking the story. What's going on? And the answer is again. Moshe Rabbeinu is a human being. Moshe Rabbeinu is not a god. Many religions, you know, they start with their gods. You know, our, our prophet is our god. Knowing our prophet is not a god. It starts off in his genealogy as a man, born to a man and a woman in a natural birth. He was a human being who could very well have been killed were it not for the fact that Pharaoh's daughter that's also, that's a hidden miracle, found him and raised him in the palace. So Moshe Rabbeinu has parents like you and me, a normal, healthy individual, uh, born with natural parents, and till the end he dies. He dies a human being. He never was a god, never will be a god, and never was a god at the end either. So that's, that's the reason why over here, Hashem says, I chose a regular person. I am going to do the miracles over here. He's just a figurehead. He can't even talk. Hashem is the one. Okay. And that's why, again, it says, it was on that day when Hashem spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt. Hashem spoke to Moses saying, I am Hashem. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Everything that I speak to you. Moshe says before Hashem, behold, I have sealed lips. How can Pharaoh eat me? Again, the same reason why God chose Moshe was because he had sealed lips. That's the reason why I chose you, because you can't talk. I'm going to make you talk. Everyone's going to know that it's me. How everyone going to know it's me, Hashem? Because you who can't talk suddenly start spouting words. That is the proof. Okay, so that's a little bit of the interesting, the genealogy that's thrown in over here. Uh, he's a, what is genealogy? There's a beautiful, okay, let's go back a little bit. Because we said there's two things in this parasha that talk about a morasha. What is a morasha? So over here, first it says, I'm going to give the land of Israel to them. 
and it will be a morasha for you. It will be a heritage for you. A heritage. This word morasha is used twice in the Torah. One is regarding the land of Israel, a morasha. It's not an inheritance. It's a morasha. It's a heritage. And number two, it's used in the book of Deuteronomy when it talks about the Torah. And this is the line we say when we point to the Torah every time it's taken out. And this is the first line you teach a child, two lines you teach a child when they can talk is Shema Yisrael Hashem, Hashem Echad, God is one. And number two is Torah, Tibalanu Moshe, Morasha, Kehilat Yaakov. And all the schools, they teach this with a beautiful tune. This way the children come home and see the tune. Torah, Torah, Tibalanu Moshe. Morasha, the Torah was commanded us to by Moshe. It's a heritage for the children of Israel. So the Gemara asks, what is the difference between a heritage and an inheritance? This is so powerful, this idea. So it says an inheritance is something you give to a child without any deserving. They don't deserve it. Parent passed away, they give an inheritance to their child. The child does not have to work for it. The child did nothing to deserve it. The child gets it on a golden platter. That's an inheritance. Hashem says there are two things that are not inheritance. One of them is the land of Israel. The land of Israel is a heritage. What is a heritage? It's like a business that the father gives his son. Okay, they get something, they get a business. It's working business and it's making money, but if the child does not invest his time and efforts and energy into the business, the business is going to collapse. That is a heritage. Heritage is something that you Get from your parents that you have to invest in. And there's two things that we don't inherit. Land of Israel, as you can see around us. The land is being built with toil and sweat and lots of money. The land is being built around me right now. As I view Israel, you know, so the national bird of Israel is not, you know, not, not really, but they call it a crane. Why is it a crane? Because everywhere you go, you see cranes, not birds, but cranes. We are literally cranes. Today I was out in the garden with my uh, my little grandson, and he's on the swing and the slides, he's having a good time that he sees. He's looking up. There's a crane. He's pointing to the crane. He can't talk yet. He's pointing to the crane. There's a crane. Everywhere you go in Yushalayim, they're cranes. They're building this country. They're building this land. It's a lot of effort. That's a morasha. That's a heritage. A heritage is something you don't just get. You have to invest yourself in. And the Torah is the same thing. You know, it's interesting. You just learned the, the page in Dafyomi and the Gemara in uh, Nidarim. There's the pay around that page, the pay, pay bet. And the Gemara says, why is it the children of rabbis are not always rabbis? And it gives this answer. The answer is the Torah is not a Yerusha. It's not an inheritance. It's not something that just goes right through your DNA and you don't have to work for it. The Torah is something you have to work for. If the child of a rabbi does not learn Torah and invest himself in Torah, they won't know Torah. There's no difference between a rabbi's son and any other son. Everyone has to invest. It's all to do with how you invest your time and energy. And all of us will be successful in these two missions, two heritages we have. Every Jew has two heritages. Number one is the land of Israel. We have to invest ourselves in Israel. We have to buy a house in Israel. The least we can do, buy property if you can't buy property, invest in Israel, bonds, whatever it is, just to invest in Israel. It's a heritage. And number two is invest in Torah, Israel, Hashem. And we'll be successful in not just getting out of the land of Egypt, but also getting out of the lands everywhere around the world that Jews are. We should leave the land and inherit 
our heritage, our heritage is Israel, Israel Hashem, and many blessings from to all of you, from all of us here, and from Yerushalayim, Yerak Kodesh, uh, the Holy City. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.